you know, I, I, I think there were some who didn't prosecute or open a bigger case into Hillary Clinton in 2016 because they didn't want to influence the election. That would not happen yeah. now. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And thanks for listening to the Flyover Country podcast being recorded at 824 p.m. Eastern Time here on June 13th, 2023. I am the aforementioned Scott Jennings alongside Kevin Grout. And Jared Crawford, Joe Arnold is on assignment in Washington, D.C. Sean Southerd is on assignment in Parts Unknown. We don't know where Sean is. <laughs> we hope he's doing good work. I don't Joe. know. <laughs> yeah, I have a fix on Joe. I do not have a fix on Sean, and so we'll dock his pay for uh, when we do the payroll for the next uh, pod. But thank you all for listening. And we have not gathered, gentlemen, uh, for a couple of weeks. We took last week off because we were all scattered to the breeze I was in New York City doing CNN. Jared, you were on the road. Joe was out doing something. We were just all uh, I was here. So I was ready. I was, I was talking to this <laughs> yeah. microphone, but nobody was listening. Yeah. Kevin yeah. Jared wasn't here to push the, <laughs> yeah. He wasn't here to push the record button. So <laughs> just your brilliance went into the went into the ether. But but boy, since we last got together, the world has once again been rattled, turned upside down. Pick your metaphor uh as we record this i have been in washington uh, i'm sorry new york for the last several days uh spending most of my day live on cnn covering the first ever federal indictment of a former president of the united states donald trump has been indicted by a federal grand jury in the southern district of florida down in miami uh, by now you know the issue he was keeping uh, national security documents, top secret documents, and according to prosecutors, he tried to obstruct justice. There are 37 counts. It's all quite serious. An indictment is just one side of a case, and everybody is innocent until proven guilty. But if you listen to the legal commentary out there, and I try to follow some of the folks like this very closely, Jonathan Turley, Bill Barr, uh, and, and others, they are very sour uh, on the prospects of Donald Trump, except for one thing. There may not be a trial before the 2024 November election. And if Donald Trump, Kevin, were to get reelected president, he would not be tried while he was in the White House. And my assumption is he would order the Department of Justice to close this case or to drop the charges. What was your reaction to all this, Kevin? Well, this, I think, is very different than what Alvin Bragg did in New York. This is not a total level of partisan hackery uh, from a, a prosecutor who literally ran on putting Trump behind bars. These are the feds. You know, this, you can say what you want about the special prosecutor in his office. This is, this is the big leagues. This is the real deal. And I, I think, Scott, you referenced... Uh, Attorney General Bill Barr came out over the weekend and, and said he had read the indictment. And, you know, I hold his opinion rather high. And he he said, this this looks pretty bad. I think this is pretty damning. Uh, of course, they've got to prove the case. And that that's a long process. Uh, and, and I imagine President Trump and his legal team will will mount a very vigorous defense. But uh, this is this is not small ball. These are some pretty serious charges that he is going to be facing. And uh, it, it's going to play out on TV and, and we'll, we'll all watch it. Yeah. 
it struck me that as we were doing our coverage of the aftermath of all this, you know, I happened to be, by the way, live on the air on CNN when this literally happened. So Donald Trump was the first person to announce to the world that he was being indicted. I happened to be sitting on the set with Aaron Burnett when all this went down uh, last week and then was on television the next day uh, as the indictment was unsealed. And so I really did see this playing out in real time. And what has occurred to me over the last several days is that most people in the Trump orbit are trying to deal with the macro or atmospheric issues here, weaponization of the Justice Department, you know, double standard. Why wasn't Hillary Clinton prosecuted? What's going on with the Biden uh, investigations, both Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, instead of dealing with what is actually in the indictment? Then this morning, I was on TV with Florida Congressman Byron Donald, and he began to try to start to deal a little bit with some arguments that dealt with what is in the indictment. But honestly, I have just not seen too many people out there, Jared, trying to tackle the meat of this evidence. Instead, they're doing, I guess, what the, you know, if, if you were trying to get to a political exoneration, you would argue that Hillary Clinton was let go and shouldn't have been, that Joe Biden had documents in his garage, that Hunter Biden's been under investigation and has clearly committed crimes. We've known it for four years. And essentially that if you're a Democrat, you can seem to get around this Department of Justice. But if you're Donald Trump, Jared, you cannot. Yeah, unfortunately, they're just different. Right. And and I, I get that National Review has been kind of dissecting these, uh, you know, uh, defenses of Trump over the last couple of days. And they're like, but Hillary's emails, but Hunter Biden's laptop, they're just different cases from what the indictment lays out. If your point generally is, hey. They had documents they shouldn't have had. He had documents he shouldn't have had. Treat them the same. That's just not what Trump did, though, right? If you read the indictment, you know, and, like, if we pause for a second, the photos as well. I mean, it wasn't like he had them in a safe. The dude had them next to the the toilet in a bathroom. So even that should be maybe potentially disqualifying. But, I mean, there are some really serious concerns in this indictment if these are true not just that he took the documents or that he may or may not had the right, the sort of like trying to subvert the FBI and his own lawyers. I mean, there's a lot of shady things that they're uh, accusing him of. And so it's hard to compare this case or the allegations to Hillary or Pence or Biden and their handling of the documents. Because when they were told, hey, you're not supposed to have these, they turned them in, they worked with their lawyers, and Trump did none of that. And so it's tough for them to just say, but Hillary's emails. And to that, Hillary shouldn't be also out there like taking this like it's a victory lap. Like, hey, I right. got away with this. Like, again, it's frustrating. Ah. We Trump sort of does this thing where he brings out the worst in everybody. Uh, and and it's, I, it's just tough to watch. I, 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 I don't want to totally dismiss this feeling that there are two systems of justice in this country, because, I mean, wh while, you know, what President Trump is indicted for and accused of is, is extremely serious and in a league of its own. I think a lot of Republicans probably pretty rightly feel like there is a lot of justice not being served, especially if you're a Democrat. Um, I mean, I don't, yes, the situations are different, but I don't want to say that we can't be and we shouldn't be concerned that it looks like a lot of Democrats got off scot-free. Also now, the precedent of 
the D- Department of Justice not getting involved before an election is clearly over. You know, I, I, I think there were some who didn't prosecute or open a bigger case into Hillary Clinton in 2016 because they didn't want to influence the election. That would not happen yeah. now. I was going back and looking at some of the coverage of Hillary Clinton. By the way, the, the argument, if, if you're saying, you know, Trump shouldn't be prosecuted uh, because of Hillary or Joe Biden, or if you're saying, why, you know, they did it too. Inherent in that argument is that you're just accepting that Trump also did it. (laughs) And so essentially what you're arguing is that since they did it first, I guess everybody is allowed to do it now. I'm not sure that's a a great standard (laughs) for us to follow. But I was looking back at some of the coverage in 2016. Here's how the New York Times discussed it then. Hillary Clinton and her staff were, quote, extremely careless in handling classified data over a private email server while she was Secretary of State. FBI Director James Comey said Tuesday But the FBI is recommending no charges be brought against her. Comey said his agency found more than 100 emails that contained information that was classified at the time, emails that should not have been on any kind of unclassified system. He also said the FBI considered it possible that Clinton's email domain had been hacked by a hostile actor. Comey, however, said the evidence points to carelessness instead of intentional violations and therefore do not suggest criminal charges. Now, I don't know how you just accidentally set up your own private email server, but I remember a lot of people at the time believing that Hillary Clinton really got away with something here. I mean, it is possible to be careless. Yeah. It's possible, you know, that Mike Pence, you know, accidentally, and he did take home a, a classified document. And obviously he's not being charged because he turned it over when asked. But in terms of this comparison to Hillary, just going back and remembering and trying to, to recall what happened, I mean, it, it was pretty egregious, which I think really validates the feeling of most Republicans today, because, you know, we, we try to say in this country, there's one standard of justice, no one's above the law, everybody's playing by the same rules, but you don't carelessly set up a server, you don't accidentally set up a server And she should have known better. Now, you could also make the argument that Donald Trump should have known better, but he's being charged with a crime, 37 crimes, and she was not charged with any. Now, Biden's in a different world. A, I still, I mean, this guy had documents from when he was a senator, and and I've heard numerous senators go on TV. and Democratic senators. Yes, how do you get documents? (laughs) How do you take them home? But there's no doubt that if if you've been on television over the last few days, you know, mocking Donald Trump for keeping documents in the toilet or on the ballroom, you should equally be mocking Joe Biden for keeping them in the garage. Now, he's president, so they cannot prosecute him right now. But it, to me, the impulse to believe that Democrats just are able to get away with things that, Joe, that Donald Trump isn't, it, it's, a, it's a valid impulse. I'm not saying everything's the same. I'm not saying all the details are the same. I'm not saying that, you know, it's totally apples to apples, but it's easy to see how a layperson, a non-lawyer, just someone who lives in this country and has to observe our government could come to that conclusion. Right, Kevin? And we've said, I think, Scott, you laid this out really well on our last pod, that when it's a Democrat, they always seem to get the benefit of the doubt. Even, you know, what you said about Comey there is, well, we looked into it. It definitely wasn't good. Hundreds of emails that were classified, but eh, she probably didn't mean it. Her team probably didn't mean it. When the Democrats do it, it's the benefit of the doubt. When Donald Trump or Republican does it, they get the book thrown at them. 
None of the classified content, the New York Times said, should have ever been sent on any kind of unclassified system, Comey said. He pointed out Clinton's personal email setup involved no full-time security staff like she would have benefited from if she had been on a government system or even just using Google's Gmail service. What she (laughs) had was less secure than Gmail. So we've all got a lot of weird emails in our Gmail. Yeah, yeah, of course. And she had something. So I I don't know. Look, I don't want to relitigate Hillary Clinton. And and obviously it's a popular talking point. And and I hear a lot of Democrats on TV just waving this away. I just thought it was important, though, to go back and remember just how egregious it was, because obviously this is a central argument for Donald Trump, which is to say Hillary Clinton got away with something and I didn't. Now, on the other side of this equation, if Donald Trump had just given the documents back when they asked for them, he would not be indicted right now. And yep. if you look at the indictment, he was not indicted for anything that he actually did give back, even though he had had it for a period of time. So he clearly could have avoided this had he wanted to. And that is unfortunate for every Republican running for office because now all of their uh, interactions with the press and whatever they want to be doing is being hijacked by having to talk about uh, Donald Trump's document retention practices. And I think the Trump Trump and his team have clearly decided they aren't going to necessarily fight the legal battle only here. They're making this a political battle. You could tell it yeah, as he was yeah. leaving the courthouse after his indictment, he stopped for a campaign stop. The CNN cameras followed him to that campaign stop at one of the biggest Cuban American restaurants in, in the area. Um, I mean, he, he is gathering his supporters close. He is making this into in uh, in Trump, you know, how to play the victim. He's making this into a political prosecution the best he can. And he, he's going to have this political fight out. And you know what? What happened last time when he was indicted? His poll numbers went up. <laughs> I, yeah. I, 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 are, are there real thoughts that that won't happen again? Yeah. I'm, and, and let's be like fair here, too. Everything the, the, you know, the institutions, the Democrats, the media, whoever has thrown at this guy from Russiagate to the Steele dossier, all these things, he comes out the other side clean a lot of the times. And so if you are a Trump supporter or a Republican who's like, Man, it's it's become the boy who's cried wolf yeah. on every single one yeah. of these things, right? And so if you're skeptical of whatever's in this indictment or whatever they're claiming he did because he gets up there and he's like, they also claimed I colluded with the Russians. They also claimed I stole the 2016 election, that I did this in Russia, and that I was in the hotel doing this on the bed, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it makes some sense to me for his supporters to be like, Dude, you guys have lied about everything about this guy for, you know, eight, ten years now. You've, you have consistently tried to pin every single bad thing on him. You have tried to, they impeached him twice. You've tried to blame him for every criminal act that's ever happened in this country. I sort of get them being like, yeah, of course we don't believe you on this one either. I don't care that so-and-so gets up there and says it's more serious than the one before you said that last time, you know? And, and on this front, I was wondering today, how differently would this federal indictment have landed if Alvin Bragg in New York City had right. not dropped his indictment several weeks ago on a dog? I mean, let's be honest. It's yeah. a dog. Yeah. It does not need to be prosecuted. It's ridiculous. It's obviously a political partisan, you know, I mean, he made a promise to go after Donald Trump, and that's really all it is. And so what that allowed Trump to do was set the predicate here, which is that everything that happens to me is nothing but a partisan witch hunt. Yep. Following on all the things you just said, Jared, 
if Alvin Bragg had not done that, this, in my opinion, might be landing a little different because if you read the indictment, you know, the evidence is, is, is quite stark. By the way, speaking of Jared, you said this is helping him. I couldn't agree with you more. I've seen some polling uh, that's been uh, coming out over the last few days. Vast majority of Republicans consider this to be a political prosecution. Um, heard tell of some focus groups being conducted this week, and nobody is peeling off of Donald Trump. There has been some polling in the Republican primary that's come out over the last couple of days. Reuters, Ipsos uh, survey that came out uh, June 9th through the 12th, so uh, this is brand new stuff. Donald Trump, 43, Ron DeSantis, 22, Mike Pence, 7, Haley, 3, Ramaswamy, 3, Chris Christie, 2, Tim Scott, 2, and everybody else is less than that. Um, CBS News, YouGov, over the weekend, an even wider margin, Trump, 61, DeSantis, 23, everybody else at 4 or less. And also the uh, morning consult Republican primary tracking has Trump up by a wide margin. So my presumption is, is that this is going to cause a bit of a rally around the flag effect for Donald Trump. There has been some polling evidence that um, Trump and DeSantis have been getting closer in Iowa. The, the DeSantis campaign has been uh, issuing some survey data that shows a closer race in Iowa. Obviously, those are national polls that I just read. And so, you know, that's really the trick for DeSantis is even if it's a wide margin nationally, are you tracking him down in one of the early states? I was talking with some of my fellow political contributors behind the scenes over the last few days. If Trump can manage to win Iowa, it's over. I mean, I, I don't know how... I don't know how you would then stop him at that point. It strikes me that he's going to have to be beaten in Iowa for anyone to try to to put a that, to put a stop to this campaign. That's interesting. You you think it all it all rests in Iowa because I think you you cited on the show that it hasn't been since George W. Bush in twenty in two thousand that the winner yeah. of the Iowa caucuses has gone on to win the nomination. But you think if he can show himself a winner in the first caucus, that everything else will fall apart. Well, I mean, look, I think if he wins Iowa, it means DeSantis didn't. Yeah. And obviously DeSantis is running the kind of a campaign that's designed to win Iowa. Mike Pence is running a one-state campaign. So if he were to win Iowa, then you go over to New Hampshire, and, you know, who would be left that would be competitive in New Hampshire? Maybe Chris Christie, if he can pull something together because he got independents voting over there. Maybe Tim Scott. Um, but it strikes me that a loss in Iowa for DeSantis or Pence would be very debilitating for their chances. So, you know, the one guy in the race that I think is actually competitive in all three early states is Tim Scott. Yeah. I think he's got appeal in all three places. And so I could see a world where he continues to creep up a little and maybe he isn't out of the race uh, just because he didn't finish in, in Iowa. If he were to sneak up and finish third, you know, that would probably – he just uh, has to, him, to win, around. win South Carolina, and he's got another home state favorite to uh, compete with there. Exactly. Uh, other uh, polling that came out over the weekend, guys, CBS News. There was um, The CBS News poll was actually quite fascinating to me. They, they just had so many interesting questions, but one of the most interesting questions they asked of Republican primary voters was, do you want – 
what, or what's more important? Sorry, what's more important for the Republican nominee for president to appeal to moderates and independents, or is it more important for the nominee to motivate conservatives and Republicans? What do you think it was? Did I send it already? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, I'll just but I don't it. think the people back home have heard it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 50-50. It was literally 50-50. Half the party wanted an appeal to moderates and independents. I guess you would call that the let's try to win the election coalition. Right. And then 50 <laughs> wanted to motivate conservatives and Republicans. But I was thinking about that question because, A, it's sort of the duality of the modern Republican Party. And, B, it, it is, you know, in the context of the indictment news, you know, obviously there's, I guess, a short-term boost for Donald Trump here among primary voters – but is there really any benefit to this for a general election when we've seen tr- uh, poll after poll after poll that independents think this is serious matter, and even some Demo- even some Republicans think uh, it's a serious matter? So I don't know. I'm 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 thinking helpful in the short term, but long term, just not sure. Just not sure it's a winning hand for the Republican Party to be essentially running an entire campaign. I mean, well, I said this tonight on the air. The campaign is now the case, and the case is now the campaign. I mean, Trump's campaign is probably his best legal strategy. Mm-hmm. Like, if he wins, this stuff goes away. Yeah. So his best way to get out of it is to win. So the, so the campaign and the case are now so intertwined that it basically means in the general election, 2024, Trump's going to be arguing to the, to the country, you need to elect me so that I can, you know, get out of this case. I'm just... That might help win the primary. I'm just dubious that it's well, going to help in the general I, election. I think every one of his primary opponents is going to get asked the question is, do you think he did it? And if yes, would you pardon him? Nikki Haley got the question today, and she said, I would be inclined to pardon him. She didn't answer if he was guilty or not, but said, when you look at a pardon, the issue is less about guilt and more about what's good for the country. Uh, so She's been all over the place. She, she's she's, already, started, she, she's she already pardoning out. him. Yeah. Um, and well, I think everyone else is going to get the question and it's going to make, uh, any, I, I mean, well, anybody who know, says yes out of hand is going to make, going to look bad. We know where Vivek stands on this. He right. held a press conference today. I think, I think he said he sent a letter to each campaign, which is so cute. <laughs> That's just a very cute thing for him to do. He sent but, a strongly worded letter. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but someone in the mail room opened and, <laughs> and, you know, I don't know how serious his campaign is. Uh, actually, maybe I do. Uh, there was talk over the weekend. He was shutting all the, was, the whole thing down. Pulling, you know, <laughs> pulling it out to go to Trump's defense. But, you know, to your point, right? And now becomes the question. Do you think Trump did it? Is the DOJ completely illegitimate, right? It just, it, you know, it takes away from some of the, the other things these guys might want to talk about or, you know, the uniqueness. We talked about Tim Scott. I thought he had a great, uh, uh, as good as that show can be on The View uh last week i mean these guys a lot of these people have a good story to tell or they've done some interesting things and they're gonna get stuck saying yeah the doj is illegitimate and and classified documents and you know i don't know who that helps other than trump i just you know uh surely there'll be chris christie who will paint kind of a different picture and attack trump over it but for the other guys who were you know really up there battling i don't know who that helps other than trump I was I was kind of surprised that Ramaswamy was able to to be in the courtroom today with Donald Trump. And then I realized it's because he has crawled so far up Donald <laughs> Trump's rear end that he just gets to go wherever Donald Trump goes. <laughs> and I was surprised about that. And I, honestly, this guy, I mean, holding a press conference. By the way, if you watch the press conference, so he's trying to, like, give this speech. And then that nut Laura Loomer 
runs up to him with a bullhorn and is trying to like get it. I mean, there, there, there may not be, there may not be a long line of lawyers lining up to help Donald Trump, but there is a long line of clowns lining up to <laughs> audition for the circus down in, in Miami today. You had Ramaswamy, you had Carrie Lake patrolling around out there. You had with, with, uh, she, she predicted 300 million Americans would, would rush to Trump's defense. Yes. So it was a bit of a circus. Uh, and then uh, as we speak, Donald Trump, uh, and as we record this podcast, Donald Trump left South Florida and jetted off to Bedminster, his golf club in New Jersey, to have a big fundraiser tonight, which was in the works before the indictment. And actually, the Trump campaign is doing something that he's not known for, and that's cater to big donors, big bundlers, you know, sort of traditional fundraising operation. He's obviously the king of small dollar fundraising, but they're trying to do a big thing tonight with, with high dollar donors and, and big time boners. And it'll be interesting. They were saying, I was reading that they were saying they thought they were going to raise $2 million at this big bundler event tonight. You know, interestingly, as of tonight, they haven't released any small dollar fundraising totals since the indictment came out, which I find curious. I kind of thought they would have said, yeah. you know, in the first 24 hours we raised all this money, but they haven't, well, they're they still, haven't done this yet. They're still making the NFTs to sell to the small dollar donors. <laughs> they haven't finished those yet, but once they do, they'll, they'll get that number out. Before we move on from the indictment story, a couple of other survey points just to wrap up the, the topic. CBS News, YouGov, which concerns you more? This is asked of likely GOP primary voters. 76% said it concerns them more that the indictment was politically motivated. 12% said it concerns them more that documents were a national security risk, and 12% said both. So by far, the top concern of Republican primary voters is the politically motivated nature of it. And then finally, if convicted over classified documents, should Donald Trump be able to be president? Likely primary. Primary voters, 80% yes, 20% no. Overall, Americans, 43% yes, and 57% no. So we'll leave that there, and we'll find out uh, in the coming weeks, when is this trial going to take place? To me, that's kind of the whole ballgame. Can they actually get this thing in? My, you know, Most of the lawyers I spoke to over the last few days and that I was on the air with said there's no possible way. I did hear a couple saying maybe that they could try to do it. But most folks agree this will be put off beyond the November election, which makes Donald Trump's election, at least from his perspective, extremely pivotal because if he loses and goes to trial and gets convicted, these charges carry quite a steep personal freedom sentence. Moving on, Jared, you have some sound, I believe, from one of Donald Trump's rivals, Chris Christie. The former governor of New Jersey held his CNN town hall meeting on Monday night. I was up in New York and I actually got to spend some time with Governor Christie. His town hall meeting was in Hudson Yards at CNN. And I talked to the governor and talked to his campaign team. CNN actually brought in voters from around the country to uh, be in a studio there in in, uh, New York City. And so I was able to be on the air there around his town hall. Now, before we get to one of the most interesting sound bites, I think, of the night. I just should say, this came out right before we started recording, that Chris Christie's Monday evening town hall 
more than doubled the viewership of that of Mike Pence or Nikki Haley, who were the last two candidates. Uh, an audience of 1.35 million people turned in to watch Anderson Cooper moderate the event with Chris Christie. It was on from 8 to 9.35 Eastern on Monday night. Uh, 3.3 million had watched Donald Trump, so less than half uh, of what Trump got. Oh, Mike Pence got uh, 632,000, and Nikki Haley got 562,000. So Chris Christie, who I think, uh, after watching him, I think he's he's the only other real camera competent. Yeah. I mean, he's he is camera comfortable. Like, this guy is very comfortable in an, in an audience setting. Uh, and in front of a camera, just like Trump. Yeah, but he did he did quite well. Jared, what did Chris Christie say Monday night on CNN? When did it? When did we get to the point where we're always blaming our adversaries for the weakness of our candidates? Oh, it's the Democrats' fault. It's DOJ's fault. It's this person's fault. It's the media's fault. How bad it's his? He hasn't won a damn thing since 2016. Three time loser. 2018, we lost the House. 2020, we lost the White House. We lost the United States Senate a couple of weeks later in 2021. And in 2022, we lost two more governorships, another Senate seat, and barely took the House of Representatives when Joe Biden had the most incompetent first two years I've ever seen in my life. Loser, loser, loser. Now we're getting going, it'll be different this time. Why? Why will it be different this time? Those arguments need to be made. And I'm not afraid to make them for two reasons. One, I'm not afraid of him. And two, it's the truth. That's a former That's federal prosecutor words. right there. <laughs> yeah, tough, tough words from Chris Christie, who uh, obviously ran for president in 2016 and ended up dropping out after New Hampshire and then endorsed Donald Trump a few days later. Um, and then was really part of Trump's orbit. You know, he was part of the 2016 campaign. I believe he conducted Donald Trump's debate prep in both 2016 and 2020. By the way, it, in the Chris Christie town hall, he told the story of the debate prep in, in 20 about getting COVID. I had forgotten this, that he had gotten COVID and was so sick that a priest came in and gave him last rites, I guess. Wow. Wow. And he recovered. But did, did you all catch the anecdote? So he said when he was in the ICU, Donald Trump called him and said, hey, you're not going to tell people that, that I gave you COVID, right? <laughs> and Chris Christie said, well, I don't know who gave me COVID. And then later, <laughs> and then he hangs up. And then, and then Trump goes and gets on the plane and tells the press, I guess off the record, that, well, you know, Chris Christie gave me COVID. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> Chris was saying there were like six people in the room, five got COVID. I think Mark Meadows finally admitted that they knew Trump had COVID that day and still put him in there. Anyway, it was it was kind of I I just totally had forgot. But anyway, Christie was really involved with Donald Trump, and what he said, Jared, was that he broke with Donald Trump on the night of the election, two thirty in the morning, when Trump walked out to the podium and said the election had been stolen and that they did win the election. He said that was the moment when he broke with Trump, and now he's running for president. And I think the challenge, Jared, for Chris Christie is he's really camera competent. He's a very good communicator. He's obviously, you know, talented when it comes to stringing together an argument. But his unfavorable ratings among Republicans are so high. You just wonder, is this is this the kind of messenger that could break through in a Republican primary?
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he can play the heel character in debates or just, you know, in the media and let everybody else not have to play that character. Um, you know, DeSantis has obviously started to attack Trump. Scott and Haley, not as much. Um, and so, again, he's good at it. And so you almost kind of want to, like, let him do this. The loser, loser, loser line is great. I mean, I, I don't know how many other people could have, you know, delivered that monologue he just gave as, as good as he did. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's just, you know, he's one of, not he's not a perennial candidate, but it almost feels yeah, like he, he is. is. <laughs> yeah. This is his third time. Um, and, you know, he certainly has won uh, some in the past. And. So he's got that. But, um, yeah, I mean, he if he's going to be the anti-Trump candidate, and that's his whole thing, at least he's good at it, right? I mean, it's a, it's a sort of th- annoying thing about Vivek is he's like this boring, yeah. um, you know, leech or whatever. Uh, you know, Christie is, this is what he's really good at. For a long time, when he was governor, he, this is what he would go toe-to-toe with people. He could He could handle his own. And I really think he believes that when he's like, look, I'm not afraid of him. I'll, I'll go right at him. And that's an interesting kind of place to be in because there's not a lot of people who aren't either afraid of Trump or afraid of his voters. So Christie presents this kind of interesting wild card. So in terms of electability, this is the third time he's run for president. He ran in 12, 16, and then and then now. Um, no, no, he didn't. He didn't run it. He didn't run in 12. Are you sure? I, I was just looking it up. He was he, if he didn't, he was very, very, very close. Well, he was close, but I think that was the big problem. He uh, should have run in twelve. Okay, then he should have <laughs> he should have run in twelve. He 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 spoke at the convention. He has been a yeah. national public uh, Republican political figure since twelve. What I believe he was the keynote speaker of the Republican National Convention. So I think everyone and, has their minds made up about Chris yeah. Christie, and yeah. you know that he hasn't won, um, and, and so. And, and a lot of his positions, I think, are, are pretty moderate. They got to it some of it in the town hall, especially on like pro life and so, some issues like that. I, you know, if the Republican Party is getting more conservative, I don't think he necessarily fits that mold in the right way. So could he win? I don't know. But I think what Jared was getting at is, could he be a torpedo that takes yeah. down Donald Trump? Maybe. I mean, he's attacking other people in the field too, so he's he's kind of scattering his fire. But. I mean, is if he is he going to be the guy who takes up Donald yeah. Trump's full attention so somebody else can you know win votes? It, Maybe, but that that seems like his his role here. And he's and he's good at it, right? Yeah. That's the sort of. And I'm not going to shame anybody who tried to go against Trump in 16 uh, in those Republican debates because nobody knew how to handle him. Um, you know, he. I mean, the way he went after Jeb Bush. I mean, it was like, what what is this? Right now, we sort of seen it. Now we sort of know how he attacks people. And so the way Christie, a couple weeks ago, we played the Chris Christie, Marco Rubio clip. Right, yeah. I mean, if he can shudder Trump a little bit and kind of shake him like nobody else has ever been able to do, uh, to your point, does that help Christie? Is he sort of, does it even matter to him? But could it sort of, he play that kind of torpedo role and that bumps, I don't know, a maybe not a DeSantis, but a Tim Scott or, you know, somebody who, who presents a very different uh, uh, tone and presence on that stage. It'd be interesting to see because Christie is good at this. And I really think when he says, I'm not afraid of him, I think he, I think he believes that. Oh, I, I think he is a fearless person. And I, look, I don't think he has anything to lose. I mean, Chris Christie is, is out of office. He's 60 years old, you know, if he wins somehow, you know, he'll be the nominee. If he loses, he'll go back to being a, a television commentator. I mean, you know, he's, 
he really isn't triangulating his future, maybe like some of the other candidates are. I mean, obviously, Ramaswamy is hoping to be named, you know, Deputy White House Press Secretary under Donald <laughs> Trump. And, you know, the rest of these folks, you know, what's the governor of North Dakota doing? Does he want to be agriculture commissioner? What's I mean, what are what are some of these people doing? They probably have their eye on that to some degree, but I don't I don't sense Chris Christie does. I think tactically, uh, I agree with you, Jared. He he is good at it. Will he ever get a chance? I mean, obviously, these debates, he has to qualify for the debates. That's number one. And then number two, Donald Trump has to show up for it. Now, yes. Chris Christie um, predicted in his town hall that Trump would show up for the debates. I think he was pretty confident about it. But that's not been determined yet. And so one question, if you're Trump, is if you're if you're so far ahead in this primary and you're kind of cruising along, do you really have to show up and get hammered by all these people or even just one of them, Chris Christie? Or would you rather Ron DeSantis stand there and get pummeled by the rest of the field, which is what would happen, and let sort of these, uh, you know, Lord of the Flies, you know, take place while you uh, while you sort of float above the whole thing? So I guess we'll have to see. I guess the first debate is in, in August, and uh, there is some criteria from the RNC about whether you whether you can get on the debate stage or not. It requires some polling thresholds and also some some donor thresholds. Jared, what else do you have queued up tonight? I know you had some other sound bites of the week uh, pulled up. What else we got? Nikki Haley? We got Nikki? Yes, yeah, we've got uh, Nikki Haley. We talked the uh, indictment earlier. Again, she's been a little bit all over the place now <laughs> today on on this. Um, all right, all right. What, 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 what else you got? What else you got? Um, we've got Tim Scott. <laughs> we've got, Tim Scott. Well, this I, is better. Tim, yes. Tim Scott on The View. Let's talk about Tim Scott. This is so much better. Um, Tim Scott... Our, you know, friend of the pod yep. went on the view and absolutely killed it. I mean, this is, this is one of the reasons why if we were to nominate Tim Scott somehow, I think Joe Biden might have to forfeit the race. He's so good. Indicated that you don't believe in systemic racism. What is your definition of systemic racism? Let me ask, answer the uh, question that you've answered. Does it ex- or does it even exist yeah. in your mind? Let me, let me uh, answer the question this way. One of the things that I think about, and one of the reasons why I'm on the show, is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive disgusting message to send to our young people today that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. I will tell you that if my life is the exception, uh, I can't imagine. But, but I can't, it is. But it's not, actually. Here's, here's, it's been here's 114 the, years. Yeah, so, so the fact of the matter is we've had an African-American president, African-American uh, vice president. We've had two African-Americans to be secretaries of the state. Uh, in my home city, uh, the police chief is an African-American who's now running for mayor. The head of the Highway Patrol for South Carolina is an African-American. Still in, 19, in 1975, um, there was about 15% employment in the African-American community. For the first time in the history of the country, it's under five percent. Forty percent homelessness. And fifty percent of fifty percent of the folks get, in our community get make thirteen percent of the population. You had a chance to ask the question. I know that I've watched you on the show that you like people to be deferential and respectful. So I'm going to do the that same is thing. True. So here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest the fact of the matter is that progress in America is palpable. It can be measured in generations. I look back at the fact that my grandfather, born in 1921 in Sally, South Carolina, when he was on a on a sidewalk, a white person was coming, he had to step off and not make eye contact. That man believed then, with some doubt now, in the goodness of America, because he believed in having faith in God, Mm -hmm. faith in himself, 
and faith in what the future could hold for his kids would unleash opportunities in ways that you, you cannot imagine. Every kid today can look, just change the stations and see how much progress has been made in this country. ABC, NBC, CBS, ESPN, CNN, Fox News all have African-American and Hispanic hosts. So what I'm suggesting is that the yesterday's exception is today's rule. And for us to so suggest... America has met its promise. No, of course, the, the concept of America is that we are going to become a more perfect union. But in fact, the challenges that we face 50 years ago and 60 years ago should not be the same challenges that we face today. And here's the way that you, you measured that. When my mother was born about... So good. Tim Scott did a great job. Uh, I mean, going on The View is is a hostile environment, obviously. And um, and Tim Scott chose to do it and really handled himself. I mean, you just get an idea of just how good he could be oh, yeah. on the national oh, yeah. stage. And and there is some evidence uh, in some of the polling and, and just some anecdotal evidence I've picked up that he is he is making some impressions out in Iowa. So we'll see how we'll see how that unravels. What else you got this week, Jared? Uh, I've got a great scene read heard if we can skip oh, yeah? to that. Um, yeah, let's do it. Okay. So our, our, uh, our great, um, great's not the way to describe them. Our lovely, our likable Cincinnati Reds. How, how do we describe <laughs> the Cincinnati Reds? Those uh, guys, you know, well, I hate the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah. Well, you have a person. I'm a Cardinals fan. Yeah. Um, but one of the most electric moments of the last week or so. Uh, one that I, I believe he's either top prospect or one of the top prospects, Ellie De La Cruz got called up to the show. Oh yeah, and hit his first home run last week. And the call on this is incredible. So I'm gonna play. If you haven't seen it too, he hit a triple and went home to third in the fastest time in like the last 20 years. Freak. I mean, he's like six three. Guy could probably play any sport he wanted. But hit this ball, I think, 485 feet. De La Cruz passes to right center. Well, here's, a, here's the triple. Is he for hits. real? He's going to go three. Easily has a triple. And that's the fastest home to third in the majors this year. And Tennis then the next Welsh. day. Golf tournament silence. Anticipation to see what. Oh, goodness! <laughs> that ball had a family! <laughs> and for the folks at home, the gentleman or the young gentleman who ended up with, the, with the, that home run ball was in the last row of the stadium. Wow. There was no rows behind him, there was nobody sitting behind him. Last row of the Cincinnati Reds stadium, 485 feet electric calls on both of those great calls. I, I love players who, who add a little bit of juice to the, the game. And so that was fun to watch. I got to see him play uh, one of his last games in Louisville. I took my kids last weekend and right before he got called up and he, he got on base one inning and completely just manufactured a run all by himself. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he got on base it, it was all pure speed. And uh, ended up coming around to score, and just him being on the you can tell the other team is freaked out by it. Yeah, and uh, and 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 you can just—I mean, some guys just have that it factor when they walk up to the plate, and when and he's he's got it. So pretty electric guy. I totally agree with you, Jared. What do you got, Kevin? Well, oh, Kevin, Kevin, why don't you give us a news report 
on the status of the Kentucky governor's race, which is still going on, as I understand it. Oh, I would love to, Scott. The status of the race, the bluegrass state is red hot with this governor's race. Boy, it is. What? What? What is it? Is June? You thought, you thought we were going to get a break? <laughs> oh no! Oh no! It is June, and this thing is red hot. Um, both sides. We'll we'll start with the other guy, with Andy Bashir. He and his super PAC have already pumped three million dollars into paid TV and radio advertisements in the state. Now, Scott, give us a little historical perspective here. Has that ever happened in a race in Kentucky in June? $3 million just for an incumbent to try to save his own skin. Yeah, it's very unusual for a governor's race. Obviously, the, some of the more recent Senate races have had massive expenditures. But for a governor's race, it's a lot of money, certainly. Absolutely. And it's definitely not for good reason. Because recently, a signal poll, a well-respected, probably uh, a, a well-respected D.C. firm, put out a new poll showing a dead heat between Daniel Cameron and Andy Bashir, This is the second time the two have been in a statistical tie. Um, so we, we've got confirmation. Republicans are ready for a race. It is uh, a neck and neck. That same poll showed Attorney General nominee Russell Coleman up 10 points over his Democratic opponent. Mm. 10 points, and he's barely started campaigning. Mm. So uh, lots of good stuff to like in there. And then um, the big news I'm going to call him friend of the pod, even though he's never been on it. Terry Carmack, uh, Senator McConnell's mm. chi uh, chief of staff, long time, long time political operative. I think somebody did him dirty and said he has 40 years of political experience in the state. He took a leave of yeah. absence from his day job in the mm -hmm. Senate to come back in a senior management role on Attorney General Cameron's campaign. That is a big, big win, bringing all corners of the Republican Party together to beat Andy Bashir. And I can only imagine. When Governor Bashir saw that Terry Carmack was coming in to put a bullseye on his back, that man crapped his khaki so Grim hard. The real Grim Reaper. <laughs> the Grim Reaper. Yeah. That's great. So we That's are ha great. we are Thank happy God. to see Terry here taking it to Andy Bashir every day. This race is going to be. I mean, we we are twenty one, twenty two weeks from election day, and yeah. every one of them is going to count. Also, I'll just add. Now quickly, I can't. Bashir did a couple of stops the day after the primary, and now he's been home. Daniel has now been out on the campaign trail oh, yeah. all of these last couple of weeks. So there was like a, where's Daniel? And now it's, where's Andy? Right. You know, he's hiding at home. Yeah. Huge excitement uh, at every one of these stops, you know, from today, Owensboro to Bowling Green. To, yeah. Yep, today in yeah, Shepherdsville. Yeah, today, in fact, yeah, Daniel did a did an event down at something called the Fish House today. Yeah. And, uh, uh, man, they had, a, they had a big crowd. Um, I'll just let you know, I have contacted the offices of Terry Carmack. <laughs> And I am wading through the various levels of bureaucracy, but I, I, have an, I have a request in to get Mr. Carmack on the pod so he can talk to us about this governor's race. I'm hoping to talk to one of his secretaries, secretary, secretary, very That, that soon. would be a huge get. He is notoriously tight-lipped when talking to media, like yourself, Scott. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, we're going to see if we can get we can get Terry. All right, I'm going to do my senior and it's... Most of the time when we do scene red her, it's something that you're glad that you saw. <laughs> uh -oh. However, this week, it's something that I wish I could unsee because at the White House Pride event, a trans attendee who I guess is a male transitioning to a female. I got this right, Jared? Yeah, that's correct, yes. Who, who has had... 
breast augmentation when on the south lawn of the White House, standing in front of the south portico there where you've seen so many famous events, in front of the giant pride flag that was draped off the back of the White House and exposed their bare breasts and took a picture of it and tweeted it out. Now, what's interesting about this is not the exposure, but today at the White House press briefing, Corrine Jean-Pierre was asked by Jackie Heinrichs of Fox News on the exposure incident. Is there going to be a greater effort to communicate a code of conduct for guests? And Corrine Jean-Pierre said, quote, this person's behavior was unacceptable and unfair to the hundreds of attendees. Now, I am concerned, gentlemen, that Corrine Jean-Pierre has put this unfortunate person in danger mm-hmm. because as Corrine has explained on numerous occasions, any attempt to criticize anyone whatsoever in this area, this subject matter is dangerous. In fact, she said it in the context of this briefing today in a different question. Someone was asking her about men playing against women in sports. And she said to even bring this up is dangerous. So I, I'm worried that Corrine Jean-Pierre, who, by the way, has broken the law, according to the Office of Special Counsel. She violated the Hatch Act. We'll get to that next week. <laughs> I'm just concerned she put this trans activist in grave danger with her words, saying it was unacceptable and unfair to the hundreds of attendees. So I don't encourage you to look this up. This is why this podcast, we see the world and bring it to you in audio form so you don't have to look at it. I don't encourage you to look this up. It's quite vulgar. But I just want to apologize to the trans activists for Kareem putting that person in great danger. Anyway, that's my scene right heard. Yes. I'm just <laughs> I'm just glad we have decency back at the White House. Decent yeah. decency was on the ballot. And yeah. Decency is back at the White House. Um and so just glad glad that, that we got there. I mean, it was quite jarring. That, that honestly, wasn't just some see. random attendee. That person met and shook hands with yes. the president. I'm pretty sure that that individual oh, has, yeah. I believe, close to a million followers on TikTok. There was there's a story uh, that that activist was featured in about how they're so upset that com- that companies aren't like giving all these endorsements to people in the LGBT community too because there's been backlash. It's like. What what do you want? Do you just want to live your life? Do you want to be? It's like the, I don't even know what we're supposed to do anymore. It's all everything's upside down. We're we're just we're in the uh, banana land now officially. We we are yes we're we bats are uh, banana land. Yeah yeah. Well, gentlemen, it's been fun. Uh, Joe, if you're listening out there, I hope you enjoyed this pot. Sean, if you're in the county lockup or wherever you happen to be, Jared will come and bail you out. Yeah. Um, to all of you all listening, thank you for being with us. We'll be back again next week. I'm Scott Jennings. You've been listening to Flyover Country. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.